Uh, they come from the second lesson, Colossians chapter 2. I just want to read a, a couple of the verses that, that I read just earlier, just to remind you of what was spoken there. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 13. It says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. This is the word of our Lord. Every Christmas, every Christmas you can look up on Google the gift for the person that has everything. And I found myself doing it this past year as I was considering what to buy by my wife, you know, it was just thinking about it, like, well, yeah, we're a blessed family. If I have to look up something like that for my wife, and, and, and she is, she's blessed. She has wonderful children, a wonderful, incredibly handsome husband. <laughs> and, you know, as I look through that list, and I don't remember all the things that were on that list, but I'm sure that they were a number of electronic gadgets, something that probably would break after a, after a couple of months, or maybe a novelty item that would have worn off after a little while. But it is interesting just to think about the gift for the person who has everything. If a person has everything, how could they even get a gift that they don't have, right? The concept doesn't really make sense. Today, we are not talking about contentment. Although contentment is something that, that we think about when we think of the everything that Christ won for us. You know, we, when we preach on contentment, we talk about how be happy with what you have. Be content with what you have. But there's always that implied idea in the back of your head, but you don't have everything. Be happy with what you have because you don't have everything. There's something sad about that, isn't there? Content. But what if what Jesus won for you on the cross leaves you lacking absolutely nothing? What if what Jesus won for you on the cross really could be described as everything? What if we really were the person who had everything and there's nothing that could be given to us that could make us happier or more content? Let's begin today in the middle of our lesson. I want to start in verse 9. If you want to open up your bulletins to that. Verse 9 in in chapter 2 of Colossians. It says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Now the word that sticks out here is fullness. Think about the entire, all of who God is, the fullness of God was bottled up in the one man, Jesus Christ. But then it goes on as far to say that you have been given fullness as well. Well, in what way? What, what kind of fullness have we been given? Well, you see, there was a time when we lacked everything when we had nothing, when we could do nothing by ourselves to scrape our way out of the pit of hell that we were headed towards. But when our God looked at us in that state, he didn't do what we do when we see someone poor and begging on the side of the road here in New York City. Give them a couple of bucks and maybe we only do that on a good day. No, our God decided to give us everything. Not just his credit cards, not just all of his savings. He decided to give us his son. But that's not where the gift ended. He goes on to say this in verse 11. In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature 
not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Now, now understand what he's saying here. Do you remember what circumcision was all about in the Old Testament? It marked the people of Israel as different in this world. It marked them as the people of God. And so he says that through faith, you are circumcised, spiritually speaking. You are a child of God. And understand what that means then, that God not only gave to you his son, the gift didn't end there. It, it continued to say that now I've also made you my sons and daughters. But that's not where the gift ended. He continues in, in verse 13. It says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now the word there for written code is like a, a record of debt that's piled up against you. And we say that very often, that Jesus paid for our sins. And he, he paid for each and every one of our sins so that there's no more debt for us. And he took that receipt and he nailed it to the cross. It's been there for 2,000 years. The work is done. Debt. In America, I think we understand debt pretty well. Um, the average U.S. household in America has, just on credit cards, $16,000 worth of debt. Now imagine if someone would pay that credit card debt for you. Imagine if someone would pay all of your debt for you. That would be a pretty great thing. But imagine if then you were also given a prepaid, unlimited credit card. We would have everything. We would never be in need of anything again. It would all be ours, right? And would we abuse something as good as that? Yeah, we probably would. But regardless, it's ours. You see, there are... Some people who at times, and maybe you've been asked this question by others, who, who try to challenge Christians, and they ask this question. They ask, so you're saying Jesus went to the cross for all of your sins, and so now because Jesus forgave you all your sins, you can go out and commit whatever sins you want to. Do you know how I answer that every time? I say, that's exactly correct. Yes. Jesus forgave every last one of my sins. It's all mine. Unlimited forgiveness. Do I abuse it sometimes? Yes. Do other people abuse it sometimes and, and even very often? Yes. But the problem was never with the gift. The problem was never with God. The problem was with us. God has given to us an incredible gift. You are left lacking absolutely nothing. You have been given everything through what Jesus did for you on the cross. And he nailed up on that cross the receipt for your debt of sin that was paid in full on the day when he shouted out from the cross to tell us thy, it is finished, paid in full for you. But his gift didn't end there. It went even a step further so that you could know that everything that he did 2,000 years ago was for you. This is what it says in, in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God. See, God wanted you to make sure that you know that everything that he did for you was for you. And so he talks about baptism. And he says, when, when Jesus was buried, you were buried too. He says, when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose too. And see, what your baptism does, it connects you with everything that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. 
so that you can be sure that you personally have all of your sins taken care of and that work is complete in you through Christ. Here was the problem that came up in this congregation in Colossae, and you can see it in verse 8. Um, now, now we've, we've talked so far about the fullness of God, the completeness of the work that was given to us, but here Paul mentions something that's described as emptiness, as hollow. He says this in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or empty and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So we've been talking in the last uh, few weeks in our sermons and Bible studies about some of the issues that was going on in this congregation in Colossae. And we don't know all the details of exactly what was going on, but we do know that there were, to some degree, some legalists in the congregation who were saying that if you really want to be a good Christian, if you really want to, to... Get closer to God. This is what you have to do. Saying that you have to do more than what Christ already did for you. There were some other people in the congregation who were involved in angel worship, in in worship of other spiritual beings, saying that if you really want to be a good Christian, you should do this too, in addition to what Christ has done. Now remember, this was a Christian congregation, so they believed in Jesus as their Savior. They probably even said, no, Jesus did everything. The problem was that after that they would say, but, they had the big but there, didn't they? But, you also have to do this. But don't do this. See, anything that diminishes Christ's work, is empty and therefore harmful to our faith. It pokes holes. Constantly people are trying to poke holes in the everything of what Jesus won for us. Which makes sense, right? If Satan is going to attack us, he's going to attack the central doctrine of our faith. How we're saved. But what's difficult about this is that it's not just an empty philosophy. He uses another word. Did you notice it? Deceptive. Now, what does deceptive mean? Deceptive means it's, it's hard to see. It's difficult to see. And even more so, that it's presented as something good when in actuality it's something very harmful for you. Deceptive. It makes sense that if Satan is going to present something that's very harmful for your faith that he's going to try to hide it as best as he can so it's difficult to see. He's not going to put up big signs that says, false doctrine right here, false teaching, emptiness here, this is bad for your soul. No, it's very difficult to see. Over the last several years, um, after talking with some of you and and from other people in the congregation, it's been interesting to hear some of your um, experiences with other churches. And when you've been to other churches, and and a lot of times what happens, some of the times what happens is you come back and you say, you know, I didn't notice anything wrong with what the pastor was saying in the church. And I suppose that's surprising because the only difference between different denominations of Christians is what we teach about the Bible, right? So you would think it would be obvious to everybody when those things are taught, but that's not the case, is it? It's actually very difficult. And that means one of two things. 
on that particular Sunday when you were there listening to the pastor preach, he preached everything in accordance with God's truth actually says. And I hope and pray that that is always the case. Or it's the other option. That there was something that was there that was false and against what God's word says, but it was hidden and difficult to see, like a tasteless, odorless poison. So we have it in, we have groups around even our city who will say something like, Jesus Christ started the work of salvation for you. You just have to finish it. But I thought our salvation was complete. And there's another group who will say, Jesus did everything for you. There's nothing else that needs to be done, uh, almost. You just have to make your decision for Christ. And you just have to live by like this and, and make sure you don't do this. And then it's complete. Well, I thought it already was complete. I thought the receipt was nailed to the cross. Well, there's other people who will present it as, well, yes, everything was done for you by Jesus. Just make sure that when you repent, your repentance is truly sincere because if it's not sincere, it's not yours. Well, I thought my salvation was complete. It's a hollow and deceptive philosophy. Difficult to see. Difficult to hear. This past, past uh, a week ago, um, Verizon Files just came into our neighborhood. And when they finally hooked up everything, there were Verizon salesmen all over the place. They came to our door. I invited them in, and we were talking rates. And I don't know how it happens, but how we went from talking about Internet rates and plans to religion. But that's what happens in my house sometimes. And um, as we were talking about this, she was telling me she was a Hindu woman. And she said that, that she does not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. She believes that there are many ways to heaven. But she believes in being positive, being good to other people. And she started listing off all the good things that she does. How she helps out at many different places. Feeding the poor, helping other people, handing out clothes to other people. And then she looked at me and says, well, what do you do at your church? I said, well, we tell people about Jesus, and we show them the way to salvation. And she didn't say it, but from the look on her face and from the way the conversation continued on, what she wanted to say was, that's it? Right? That's it? She made me feel, and, and she, she looked at what we do and what we believe in as if it wasn't enough, as if the completed work of Christ was, was lacking, that something more needed to be done to really get in a good relationship with your God. See, this lesson for today, in that one verse, verse 8, is a, a warning for us. It's a warning for you and me to not fall into that deceptive and, and hollow philosophy that is found in so many parts of this city and of this world. But the thing is, if, if it is deceptive, if it really is difficult to see, how are you or I or anybody, how are we going to see it? How are we going to notice it? And the answer is found in our first couple of verses that we have in our lesson today, verse 6 and 7. It says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 
So he presents this picture of how you can get stronger and stronger in faith and how you can be like a rock, like a tree that nobody can move you. And it's only done through God's word and sacraments. As you grow in your understanding of God's word and grow in your appreciation for this completed gift that Christ has given to you, you're going to be able to recognize more and more clearly that which tries to poke holes in the completed work of Christ. You will. God's word will not disappoint you. And you may not become a theologian. You may not understand the difference between every Christian denomination out there. But I guarantee you that you will recognize more clearly and appreciate more greatly the completed work of Christ that was there for you. You are blessed. You are all very blessed people. You truly are the people who have everything. You lack nothing. Now let's live with that joy in our hearts.